Fund Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash remote ruby. This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote idea to the meaning of the word? What's up, what's up? Hey, hey. Howdy. Hello. We have, uh, Josh, I think you're our first return guest. Am I? I think so. Like, so Andrew and Nate, like, were both guests, but then they became panelists. I think this is the first time we've talked to someone before and they've returned. So welcome back. Nice. Well, that's an honor. It's great to be back. And yeah, I loved chatting with you guys the first time. Always love chatting with you. So I was looking forward to this today, especially with, you know, I'm not chatting with many people these days, so. (laughs) (laughs) And you're back on Twitter now. Yes, I am. I am back on Twitter. I had left last, I don't know, last fall or something. But yeah, I kind of caved like the last month or something. You didn't pull the Ryan Bates and disappear forever and then pop up for a week. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I could have. I really like dropped the ball on it. I could have like created a bunch of intrigue about like my whereabouts and, (laughs) and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like I've been, I, you know, I've been like everyone else. I've been feeling the disconnect and I realized like, you know, I'm not going to be seeing anyone at conferences for a while. I don't know how long. And so, yeah, Twitter, you know, it's not the best place for personal keeping up with people personally, but it's, it's a uh, you know, better than nothing at the moment. So. Yeah. I was looking at my calendar the other day and like looked at next week and I was like, Oh, like we would have been at RailsConf, but. I know. It, it's, so, it's so sad. Are there any sort of like, I guess, viewing party things going on for the RailsConf online stuff? I wonder. There, there is Mike Parham and actually Honey Badger. We're it was Mike's. This is Mike's thing, so I don't want to take any credit. But he just announced um, a hallway track, like a virtual hallway track thing. You can go to his blog. I think it's mikeparham.com. You can look him up on Twitter or whatever. But basically, it's like a series of I think like twelve person meeting rooms that you can kind of just drop into randomly, kind of like, you know, the hallway track at a conference and just randomly chat with people. So yeah, he's hosting one with Sidekick and then we're hosting a, a room as well. And I think there's like a couple of them. The thing I look forward to the most at RailsConf is like the random one-off event that Honey Badger will put on. <laughs> yeah, I, it's so sad because we had a really good one for this this year that we were, we're super excited about. We were going to be the lounge sponsors. So, you know, like they usually have like the just lounge hangout area on the conference floor or whatever. We were going to sponsor that, but it was like, it wasn't going to be not a booth or anything. It's just basically a place to hang out. And we were going to call it the Indie Lounge. And it was going to be basically like a place for all the the smaller, like either bootstrapped or, or like, you know, solo developers in the community that are building things or selling things, it would be like a place for them to kind of, you know, get some sponsor action, bring their swag and stuff. So super bummed that that couldn't happen, but maybe next year. It was going to be in your backyard too, right? <laughs> you know, that it wasn't, but that's, that's not it. That's a, we could, it could have been like the after, you know, the after party could have been at my, my fire pit. You're pretty close, aren't you, to Portland? Yeah, I'm right across. Um, I'm in Vancouver, Washington. So that's, uh, it's right across uh, the river. Um, from Portland. So it's kind of considered the greater Portland area. So it would have been like, a, it's like a 20 minute drive to the event center from here. So I hope Man. they bring it back. It's funny. It's been in Portland before. I'm not wrong in that, correct? Yes, it was. I think it was, I want to say 2013. Okay. And I know that because we like kind of launched Honey Badger. Like we launched in 2012 and then we went to our first RailsConf the next year and it was here. Okay. And we couldn't afford any tickets, so we kind of just went and just bombed the hallway track ourselves. So I remember I got into Rails like 2012. I remember seeing Rails Comp like 2013 in Portland, 2014 was in Chicago. But I remember thinking around that time, like I've got to go to a Rails Comp because like it'll be an excuse to finally like go to Portland to like get out to the West Coast. And then I started going and it was like Kansas City, Cincinnati, San Antonio, New Orleans, like all places around me. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh, they're going to Portland. And then Corona's like, no, you're not. Nope. So, <laughs> nope. <laughs> one day I'll get there. 
I've been to yeah. Portland, Maine. Yeah, Obviously. that's definitely not the, not the same place. <laughs> I think no. the only time I went to Portland was in college. We went to, we flew out to Portland, rented a car and drove to Bend and went to Ruby on Ales. That was really fun. I just remember like, I think the bar opened at like 9 a.m. and we like just it did. It, it was all had day a lot long. of drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm I was always surprised. That was like one of my favorite, favorite conferences. And not necessarily just because of the beer. I mean, it was just such a cool location, idea, just everything. But I was always surprised about how few times it actually like devolved into some sort of like <laughs> drunken. <laughs> you know, crazy thing. <laughs> right. Like everyone drinking all day. Like it's still like they, everyone seemed to manage, like, you know, hold it pretty well. Yeah. It was really funny that one of the things I remember the most was like, well, I loved the venue. Cause it was in, what was it like an old school or something, but there was like, I think a theater maybe. Yeah. And it was like love seats and then a pulpit that the speaker would go in, which is pretty awesome. And then the last talk in the second day, I remember that people had extra beer tickets and so they, they brought up like seven beers for the two speakers to, to drink during their talk before the conference ended and it just got real bad fast. It was really? hilarious. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't there for, for that one or yeah, that's, that's funny. Yeah. I don't remember what year that was like <laughs> 2011 or something. Okay. I yeah. like was just getting into rails and stuff and you know, I didn't know anybody. We may have been there at the same time and, you know, I didn't know yeah. anyone. Yeah. I'm not so. sure. I didn't know a ton of people or as many people then either. I think I, I went to like three, I don't know. I want to say like three or four of them, but I, I probably missed the first couple too. So we might've missed each other. Yeah. It's funny how, you know, a small world it was. And there, there's been so many changes in conferences over the years too. Like, the first one I ever went to was Ruby Midwest in Kansas City and mm-hmm. like made a bunch of friends there. And then that didn't, it was an extra year or two or something and, you know, kind of died off after that and yeah, missed that one too. I think but. 2014 was my year of conferences. Like that's when things like were starting to really take off with the business. And we, you know, we had a, a budget for traveling and conferences and things. And, and also like Ruby, that was just like the, a really good time for uh, like Ruby regional conferences. There just seemed to be like, it seemed to be like every major hub and even smaller cities and things had one. So you could, you know, you could basically travel all year just to Ruby events if you wanted to. And it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a long year though. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There was, it felt like there was a lot of great little groups because as Ruby Midwest, the first year was at a university or something. And there was, I don't know, hundred people there or something, but those, I really like those small ones. Cause you get to go chat with just about everybody if you want. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked the more, like the, the smaller regional ones better too, for the same reason. Just, uh, it's really cool. And also you get to hear like, like they usually bring in locals. So there's some local speakers and you get to hear from more people. Yeah. I think that first conference I ever went to, I remember Chris Wanstrath from GitHub like gave the keynote or something. And then I was like very new to Ruby. And the second talk of the day was about, you know, like eigen classes and all this like pretty deep Ruby stuff. And I remember like listening as hard as I could because I was like, oh, this is important. And then I just had a headache the rest of the day for like all that. I was like, man, yeah. it was it's pretty technical, but it was good. You know, there was, there was a, Good variety of stuff. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. What's what's new at Honey Badger since we last spoke? We've hired a few people. I don't remember how many were we still just three people, just the three founders when we talked. I, I don't remember. It's been I feel like we were. Yeah, it probably. So yeah, we've hired uh, two people since then. Ben Findlay and Kevin Webster. Ben's our marketing manager, and Kevin's our our first engineering hire, and they are both awesome. So yeah, that's been. That's been cool. We were actually going to bring on our second engineering hire. It was supposed to be this month, but unfortunately, with you know the turn in the economy and everything, we were really sad that we had to like kind of put that on hold. And it was yeah, we were pretty bummed because they're really awesome and we were excited. But you know, kind of got to take things as as they happen. But you know, um, otherwise things are good. What's the transition like? I'm curious, going from just three co-founders to like 
ploys like was that just normal for y'all was there kind of some we've had to like you know i don't know we've we've kind of tried to keep things pretty um because we were we were pretty unorganized before in the way that we did the things like I, we've talked about this a lot other places like we kind of run the company like three freelancers because that's how we started it so we we all kind of work like that like you know we work independently remotely on whatever we kind of want you feel like working on at the time so we've kind of tried to keep that you know bring a little bit of that to the team still like we people pick their projects we actually do 30 hour weeks so and even that is like kind of at your discretion so it's very uh, very laid back environment but at the same time we've had to bring in a little bit more structure here and there but we try to kind of you know apply more structure when it's needed versus trying to you know change everything at once kind of similar to how Pody operates cuz i was employee 7 i think 8 and like okay. 20 now but it wasn't just like overnight yeah. it was like here's all our rules like it was as things come up they kind of show they need structure and it's like okay we'll we'll put something in here and it's been mm-hmm. a, it's made it a pretty smooth transition so you know that's a, that's a bunch that's definitely a much bigger jump i think like we found that documentation has been crucial so we've been creating a lot of documentation and basically everything gets written down and you know documented and we try to create a you know some sort of offline or like process asynchronous process for it which works really well in the remote environment so we definitely have more like we have a better handbook now we have like onboarding you know checklists and scripts and things to set people up and, and that's all that's all really been really good to kind of develop there was something that you released recently that caught all of our uh, attention hey ya so mm-hmm. I saw it on Reddit and I was like, what is this nonsense? And then I realized that you had released a open source package uh, and I would like to hear more about that. Sure. So this is, this has been kind of my like side side project at Honey Badger for the past. I don't know. It's been a long time because I, I kind of worked on it, started it and then like tabled it for a long time. And then more recently picked it back up and decided to finish and ship it. But what is it is it's called Heya. And that's kind of like like the introduction. If you have like the introduction to an email where you just like say, "Hey, yeah, how's it going?" You know, wavy hand. What it is is a it's a campaign mailer for Rails. So it works a lot like you know sending email in Rails, like you're used to, like with Action Mailer. Like it uses all the same stuff. You can create templates and like the API is very similar. Um, but this allows you to send sequences of emails um, that are delayed, time delayed, and segmented. So. It's a little bit like solving the same problem that intercom or customer IO do as like a SaaS software as a service model. But this is a just an engine for Rails. So you drop it in, it's a gem, you run a generator to install it, all the things you're, you're used to, and then you can uh, create email campaigns that you can add people to in your Rails app. This is like a feature I've wanted in Rails for quite a long time. Because if you, if you don't need like something too complex. Like I'm, I'm using ConvertKit right now and like, it's expensive, you know, it adds Mm -hmm. up pretty fast. They have a free tier now, which helps, but you know, there, a lot of this stuff is like, do I need that? No. You have to worry about, you have to worry about syncing customers and tagging them and API keys and whatever else. And it's like, you already got your emails set up for you know, forgot your password and all your other transactional stuff. And it feels like this stuff you could you can get it way cheaper paying your transactional pricing, you know, for sending right. these out. And yeah, I like it. The other big so pricing is one reason. This kind of came about like intercom, like we were intercom customers for like we would use them to send like uh, user onboarding emails. Like so, when you sign up for Honey Badger, you get like a series of emails that teach you how to use the product basically over a course of the first week or two. And then there's other emails like when your trial is ending and some other things like, you know, you want to convert people to, you know, enter their payment details and things. And we were doing this in Intercom, but Intercom has kind of been notorious lately for their just ridiculous pricing model. And I mean, I got to hand it to them. Like they are like really good at squeezing money out of their customers. (laughs) So I, you know, I understand like, I under, you know, they're, they're kind of more of an going up market. They're an enterprise tool or they're going after more of the enterprise market, I think, right now. But that's just, you know, that's not working for us. And we were paying, I think, 
one point, like it was up into the thousands of dollars <laughs> that we were paying them monthly just to like send email and support our customers basically. And, and then on top of that, we weren't like super happy with the, the product in general, like for our, at least for us, like I don't, don't know about you, but like I don't love the little intercom operator buttons that pop up on things like everywhere these days. Like, so we'd already kind of like removed that from our app, gone back to more of a standard like email kind of support model. And once we did that, it was like, well, we could just like move to Help Scout for like actually move back to Help Scout for support and then find something for email and we don't have that bill anymore. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. I, I used to use it for something and yeah, it is, it is, I mean, it was cool before it got to be a bit, now that they're rolling in like sales and support and everything and knowledge base and all that, Uh funneling it through the widget, it's, it gets annoying. And then the the pop-ups and the little ding and whatever. And I'm like, just let me type, please. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of the things they, they, had been adding, we weren't really using like product, I think like product tours and some of that stuff. And I mean, we're, we're a little bit unique, like in that we're a developer tool and developers have very unique tastes in like, you know, UIs and, and things they interact with and typically don't want a bunch of interference. They just want to get things done. And so that, you know, doesn't really work as well for us, in my opinion. Yeah. So I was thinking while you were describing it, like for my side projects, I usually like funnel stuff through like into MailChimp and have MailChimp handle all that. And -hmm. it's just like just extra baggage because one of my projects, like I even have like a co-founder who is like supposed to be kind of like doing that, like handling the MailChimp stuff. But a lot of times I still end up in MailChimp, like setting up the emails. And so like, yeah, it it sounds like the dream to just stay in rails and do all that. Yeah. That's the other major benefit I think of, of this approach is is the integration cost that you get you have with the other tools like you said the syncing managing multiple copies of user data like across you know a bunch of tools is just in my experience it's kind of a, a special hell keeping things up to you know keeping things synced especially when you get into like your you know sending event data and like not just like your actual like user database but you have like events you have like behavior like what are they doing like you might want to respond to certain things as they happen all that stuff becomes like more and more complex, like the more tools you layer on top of each other, basically. And so, yeah, we had, we had kind of gone further down like that path. Like we were using Segment, which is another marketing tool that basically like acts as a data warehouse and like it, it distributes all of that data to all the tools. So you can like, you only have to manage one integration. But even then, like you've got this, you know, stack of, tools that you have to manage just to get your data around and yeah I, yeah i we integrated with segment at a previous job and i remember i think it was intercom that gave me some trouble cuz at least at the time their events or something they wouldn't let you filter on metadata or something one of the tools we were integrating with wouldn't yeah so we could do stuff like you know user took this action and then have metadata on the specific thing they they did, but then for like you know one service we'd have to do an exception and send a different event, and then you know it was like yeah. this doesn't really help us because now we might be sending data to the same or to all these services in one way, but now we're sending duplicates and we got to filter those differently, totally. and it was a mess. Yeah. Those little idiosyncrasies between them, like like I ran into similar things, like like event naming schemes even like i think like I, I tried to integrate with one tool and it wouldn't allow periods in event names and we use we use like dots like periods to separate like action i don't know like like what basically namespace our events because you know we're developers and that looks good to us i guess but a lot of the marketing tools aren't built for that you know they're not built for that they're built for like basically just sentences for their events and so like yeah so like it was like replacing things with underscores. And so then we had like different naming patterns and it was just like, <laughs> yeah, huge yeah, pain. You, you never want to have to deal with that. And like yeah. those exceptions just start to add up over time and it's a mess. Yeah, I get like why companies, you know, I, I get why they, that whole market exists, but for like, we're, I realize that it's, we're a three person, well, five person now company. 
that runs a SaaS for developers. And pretty much we're all developers. Like Rails is almost like it's a it's a way to automate. Like a lot of there's a lot of automation built into it. So there's a lot of advantage to being able to just like have your user database and then just do everything in the app if you're comfortable doing that. Yeah. So I think it makes sense on a number of levels. And you're already sending out notifications and other emails. So like yeah. the onboarding stuff really, it's got to be integrated in your app anyways. If, if you're telling MailChimp to send it, you still have to do that. So it's not, it's not a whole lot different to like build it in, you know, with the gem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to give a overview of like how it works? And I want to hear more about, because I don't know that there's a whole lot of projects that are licensed like yours, where it's like Mm -hmm. free for open source. And then there's kind of a trial for commercial projects. I want to hear more about that too. Yeah. So the Rails engine, and we'll assume we'll link this up in the the show notes. We do have a, it's got like an actual like official website, which is heya.email. So that's an easy... You can just go to that and it'll, you can find the, the code and everything. But the way it works is like in Rails, you have like to send emails with Action Mailer, you have like a one to one mapping for like your mailer files. So you have like app mailers, like whatever your mailer is, user notifier or something. And then you can add emails to that. You have templates that respond to actions. So Heya works very similar to that, except it stores its campaign files in app campaigns. So when you generate a campaign, it creates a new file in app campaigns and then the name of your campaign.rb. So it's a Ruby file. And from there, inside that file, you basically define steps like you would in uh, an action mailer. You would define emails basically that you would send to people, except it calls them steps. You define them with a step method. So basically, you define a series of steps. And this is all just a Ruby DSL. Each step can have a wait time and a few other options. So the wait would basically say how long you want to wait before sending this email. When it's sent to the user, then they would go on to the next email and that email would say, wait this long. So they could be different between emails. One of the cool things is that you can also segment each campaign. You can segment at different levels, but you can segment at like the campaign level and then the individual email level. So at the campaign level, it would say like, should this user enter this campaign at all? And basically, it just would run them through a Ruby block that passes in the user and you you know use whatever's on your user to determine if that if that's true or false and return that and then that's basically what a segment is in Haya. So you can do that at the campaign level and then at the individual email level you can do the same thing. So say like you had an email that was like specific to a feature of your application like in Honey Badger we have a feature called uptime monitoring so it's basically like a pingdom type thing where it pings your app. So we have a onboarding email for setting up an uptime check well, that email can have like it's segmented so that people who have already set up an uptime check won't get that email. So it lets you create like kind of dynamic campaigns that don't bug your users, you know, that don't need to be. And this is all like auto connected to the action mailer stuff behind the scenes. So you don't have yeah. to write mailer things. Yeah, that's like. right. It's um, it's all pretty. So it, it's it's backed by its own action. It has an action mailer that it uses to send everything. And currently, the like so to actually like define your email contents and everything, like it, it's all action mailer under the hood. So you still, it's a very similar pattern for creating your templates. You can create multi-part like you know HTML and text templates for your emails, as well as layouts and things like that. I like to use uh, a gem called Maildown, which is a Markdown templating gem for Action Mailer. And so it's really cool. Like you can basically, instead of creating your HTML and text templates that are like for multi part emails, you can create a one, just a markdown file. And this gem will actually generate those for you. So you write your email in markdown and then that's it. So basically, you're just adding a markdown file for your, like for each step and you're done. That's handy because then you don't have to worry about your layouts and stuff as much. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's kinda... pretty it's pretty useful and I like to write my content in markdown anyway. So, it's a really nice I found it's a really nice flow for like creating these campaigns. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah, it looks it looks good. I like the you know, the the steps are just in order so you can see that pretty easily and yeah. you know, skip whatever if they're not in the segment and all that. The one important thing about the steps is that they the, like part of the magic 
to all of this is that they each have a unique name. And that's how the system knows like not to send the same email to people. So I would say that's the one like caveat that you like you need to know that. Like you don't want to rename your steps because then it would like the system wouldn't know that they're different. So as long as you keep, you know, you don't want to like as long as you keep them the same name and they're all unique, and it'll tell you, you know, if you try to try to define one twice or something. But yeah, it, then it'll know so not it, to send it to them again. So it's keeping track of those things in models that you add to the application? Yes. So there are this whole uh, system is backed by two database tables. Um, basically, like one is membership, so like who's part of a campaign, and the other one is receipts, so who's received a campaign step, basically. And yeah, it's it's a fairly like the the data model is fairly light, which I really like about it. But it's also you know you can it's all there, so you can query and see like who's received what, and it's you know you don't have to kind of guess like who's going to receive like the next thing. Yeah, because. Like if you wanted to, you could build like a dashboard page that shows your funnel or whatever, your your campaign and then like yeah. how many people are in each bucket. I have a, like that's kind of that's probably a feature I'll add in the future. Like if you know, one if probably if we end up wanting like it's something I'd like eventually. Like it's not crucial to me right now, but I I'll probably add it. Also if other people find it, you know, if that's requested, I'll probably add it. But I'm still trying to decide like what the there's currently there's no like UI aspect of this um, outside of just the Ruby DSL. So I'm trying to figure out what the balance there should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. Like something like Sidekick kind of needs it. Otherwise you have no idea what the state of the world is. But then this is simple enough because you've got, you you know, you've got all those models. So you can just query them as long as you Mm -hmm. take a look at the data in there and figure out how to, had a query for each step or whatever. And it's probably not as bad as like, you know, people are probably less likely to know that the query to pull up the Redis jobs, you know, for Sidekick, yeah. but they're used to querying models. So it's not as probably, probably more familiar, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. I thought like my plan is kind of to like right now, my plan is to like, I'll probably have some kind of like UI dashboard, but I want to keep it relatively lightweight. Like I don't want to get super deep into the weeds on like, like some of the marketing automation software as a service out there is like, you know, like I don't even, I don't know that I'll ever build in like complex open and click tracking and like some of the other stuff that you, you know, you have a lot of reporting and stuff for. That's just really not what I'm going for here. You should make your goal to get on Hayes block list so you can be <laughs> publicly shamed. <laughs> for, for the publicity. <laughs> 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 if, if I get get David to, to tweet about me one or what, one way or the other, <laughs> funny story. Funny story on Hey. Um, be, so I named I picked the name Heya, and actually, like the it's, I don't have a logo, but if I did, it would be the waving hand emoji because I use that kind of as like Heya with a waving hand emoji. And I, this was back like like June last year, I think. So long before Hey had been announced, like it was a thing, but it was you know they were it was still like dark mode. And so when they, when they announced the name, Hey, and I, their like logo is almost, it's like, it's not an emoji, but it's like a waving hand. And it's, it's like literally an email tool. Like I was just like, Oh, am I going to have to rename this thing? Because like it or not, I'm, you know, their base camp and I am, (laughs) I am not. So granted, like the scope of this is like much smaller, you know, it's just sending email campaigns. So I actually, I did reach out to David and, and just like, got his opinion on it. And he's like, totally cool. Like, he was actually pretty awesome about it. Like, he thought it was a cool project. And he's like, yeah, go for it. Like, I don't have any problem with, you know, the naming. So that's super cool. Yeah. I was just going through the code and I came across your queries, all your SQL. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Well, so this is like, we've been working on emails at Podia because like, we do... Like for our customers, they can send like newsletters and drip campaigns and things like that. I didn't write any of the original code, but I do now maintain some of it and like add on to it. And so my coworker, Basil, who worked on the project with me, he was telling me, we were talking about, hey, uh, he's telling me he was listening to an episode of Founders Quest where you're, I guess, talking about the sequel. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like validating to him that like we were doing the same thing. 
Uh, really? Okay. <laughs> well, that's validation to me then, because I had no idea what I was doing, and I'm still not sure I do. But it's it's really <laughs> tricky. Like, can't like uh, newsletters aren't so bad because it's like send this email. But yeah. drip campaigns, like, because not only is it like I should send it, you know, X days from now, but like, what happens if for some reason the job failed before? Mm-hmm. Like, you want that redundancy, right? And like, yeah. And then if it doesn't go out. If it goes out a day late, should the next one continue on to go like two days after that was sent? Like, there's just a uh-huh. lot of like nuance to it. So, I'm really, I don't know. I'm really excited that you have solved this problem for my own <laughs> projects. Well, <laughs> don't, I don't know. Like, hopefully. So, I yeah. The, this was actually like one of the that was pro, that was the hardest part of this project was just because the entire thing is basically like I almost look at it like it's basically just a sequel project. Like, it's got like the Ruby was easy. But figuring out the uh, the sequel and actually like I made it I probably made it harder than I sh- I could I I needed to, but I wanted to like from the beginning I wanted to make it like somewhat ready to scale you know at least kind of sort of scale like it's not you know it's not built for like tens of thousands of emails in campaigns probably or hundreds of thousands or something but thousands like I think it, it would handle pretty well without like going in and like starting to address some of the things that would arise you know but yeah it's like. Even just the work of iterating over people that need to receive an email and trying to like figure it to do the work to determine like should they get this email? When do they get this email? Do I if I've got like, you know, I don't know, twenty thousand people in a campaign, do I want to iterate over them like twenty thousand people, you know, like every three minutes or something to to determine if they need to send the need I need to send it now or wait? So I try to solve some of those, like design the system basically to um what the what the queries do is they basically take each uh, step, like each message that someone re- would receive, and then run a single query to pull all the people that should receive that step right now. So if if there's people in the database that don't need to receive that step, it's not going to like try to process them right away. So yeah, it got a little bit hairy because I wanted to do it that way, and I didn't want to do like a more naive approach of just like pulling every user from the database and. And running them through queries, you know, generating thousands of queries or something. Right. Yeah. Or like pushing more of that. Should they get an email to like a select and then running some Ruby code to be like, oh, nope, they don't. Like, yeah. 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 And it actually, it does a little bit of that. And there, I kind of like, there was an intentional trade off there because when I first started the project, actually, my, my uh, idea was that segments would actually just be queries. Because if segments are queries, you can basically merge them into, especially if you're using just active record, you can merge them into other, you know, other queries and combine them. So that it works very nicely for like if you just define a bunch of segments that are queries, you can combine them all and then it just run a single query to pull the users. But I actually walked back on that approach because um, I realized like most of like the information I already have, like I already have built that tells me like should a person like are they part of the segment is already in my user model so I, i've already built out a lot of that in ruby just like i do i want to send it to someone who is already paying me like i already have that as a boolean you know like a predicate method on my user so it's really nice to actually just use ruby to define your segments because then it's just rails so there's there's a bit of an intentional like it's not quite as performant because you still have to pull the users and then run that segment check in ruby but I, I thought that was a, you know, that was worth it basically so that I could call Ruby on, on my users for segments. So are you talking about like when I define uh, a campaign and I have, I say like segment and give it like a proc or Lambda, mm-hmm. like that's what it evaluates each time is that? Yeah. So it evaluates that before it would send the user an email or not. And so that actually that sounds like yeah. a really good trade off. Like, yeah. Because that's a lot easier to that's a lot easier place to like define that logic. It's just right there, versus trying to. Yeah, I like that. part of the problem. Going back to the like the SaaS marketing tools like Intercom, Customer.io, etc., and even Segment is that they all have segmenting built into them. So like in Intercom, you build segments that then you can send to. But really, I mean, like when you're building segments, you're building logic. So you're kind of like you're scripting or programming. Basically, it's it's a UI in those tools. You're still like writing custom logic, essentially, and so you get conditionals. There's a lot happening there, and if you're using a lot of different tools, like you're basically like spreading 
duplicating the same logic across all of them. And I realized like I had the same problem when I went to implement that in SQL in, in Ruby because I realized, well, now I'm just like, I'm duplicating my uh, segments in both SQL and Ruby now. So yeah, it's, it's kind of tricky. Yeah, Chris kind of uh, hinted at earlier, but licensing is a bit different from, I guess, other projects I've seen. And I, would, I too would like to I guess hear about how that works and how you came up with that. So I'm uh, using a license called the Prosperity Public License, which is a, a newer thing. We'll grab their, their URL for the show notes. But there's a few projects that are currently using it. And actually, there's, there's some listed on their website. But then there's also... I, I think there's a lot that are, not, that are out there but not listed. But Dependabot is one of the more well-known ones. So I didn't know this, but they, Dependabot was, is open source. Their core is open source. So Dependabot core is licensed with the Prosperity Public license. And basically, the way the license works is the code is completely, it's completely open source and free for non-commercial use. And then for commercial use, it's, you can use it for a 30-day trial period. But after that, it's kind of on you to, to pay for it or to like whatever the process is for getting a commercial license. So I don't know, it's a little bit hand wavy because uh, it's kind of on the honor system, you know, because the code is out there, like Ruby is easy to monkey patch. But I liked the idea just because it's so really, it's so simple. And I like the idea of the code, like not having to deal with, you know, like having a private gem server or <laughs> figuring out how to like distribute, you know. So I don't know. I, part of it was like laziness. I didn't want to <laughs> Go and figure that all, all that stuff out just to just to like ship a you know an experiment basically, but also I really like the idea of I don't know of having like a truly open source project that you also get paid for. It's kind of like I mean it it's similar in essence to like Sidekick with the free version and the pro version, but you get all of those features, not just you know the open source stuff, which I think is cool yeah. and and that is a sustainable way hopefully to you know continue making putting in effort into the project where it's like you might build all the features you need but making some money off of it you'll be willing to add more features that like the community needs or whatever cuz you'll be able to you know afford that time hopefully you know yeah yeah one we we also considered going with like more of the open core uh, like the sidekick model so yeah, like you have an open source core and then some sort of pro version that you buy that is closed. And I think the benefit, like one of the, the benefits of that is that you really like having like a true open source, like there, that's the least friction in my opinion for like actually using something is if it's, if it's MIT licensed or something or, or whatever, like you, you have a chance of getting much more, like many more users um, of it potentially. Like, I think there's a little bit more friction if you're not sure like, well, this is, I'm going to have to pay for this. So, you know, you like this really like forces you to fi- find out if people are willing to pay for it or not. And it, it seems a little better than doing like the sponsorship thing, which is kind of sponsoring you as a person more than it is like a specific project. So it kind yeah. of aligns it. Money goes directly to the project, which I think mm-hmm. is nice. Yeah. Yeah. We thought about that. I don't think GitHub has, do they have org- organization sponsors yet? I, feel like it's something that they're working on. Yeah, I can't remember. I think I read something about that recently. Yeah. So yeah, they may have that where it gets shared between the, the team or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about that too. But yeah, we wanted to release this kind of under the company, especially since it's us. Like we're the primary, primary customer right now. But yeah, I mean, like we'll find out. It's, it's very uncharted territory though, because like I don't know a lot of people who are trying to do this, like whatever, how like, solve the problem of how do you have your code out there and then get people to pay for it. My suspicion is that it's it might be a little bit of longer like I think the project might need to be out there and develop, you know, develop a little bit before it gets like a, you know, a large user base, especially since it's like any new project is going to need a little time to mature or whatever. But that is that's kind of one benefit of this model is that it's already out there so people can kind of use it as it grows or whatever. I like that you called it a hand wavy license because all I can think about is you talking about the hand wavy icon. Uh, it's called yeah. Yeah. It's very fitting. That's, that's the real, yeah, that's the real hand waving. <laughs> also the sequel. <laughs> <laughs>
This is cool. uh, It's going back to the open source thing for a quick second. Yeah. When I joined CodeFund, CodeFund's code base is completely open source. So anyone could go clone it and get it up and running. And one of my buddies was like, I don't understand how like you guys do that. Like how, what's to stop someone from, you know, cloning the app, like renaming it and then selling their own product. And I was like, well, number one, they're not going to get the experience they're going to get with us. And I was like, and number two, good luck. <laughs> like, yeah. There's so much like baked in there, like, like good, good luck cloning it and starting a business. Yeah. Yeah. That's so how it like, it, how is that model working out for you guys? Do you, are you ha- like, is it working really well? Are you happy with it? Yeah, I yeah. I love it. I love that I get to reference, like point people to things like in the code that I've done or we do cool things and then we get to share it or we'll blog about some feature we wrote or mm-hmm. just being able to like, oh, I can go grab this really cool thing I did at work and I don't have to worry about, oh, it's like behind an IP or whatever. So I, yeah. I and we're like a very open, we're solely focused on open source. So. Sure. It's only fitting. Yeah, totally. Are you are you doing anything like any kind of licensing or anything like that? Or is it just like a service that you run? Because that's one thing I had to figure out was like, because we do a like we do have somewhat of a licensing scheme for this, which I can tell you about. But we have a like GPL, I think, license on the actual repo, but like okay. code fund is not something you can buy. So right. That's what yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on so, on Heya, we like I didn't want to just completely rely on the honor system just because I know people kind of forget, you know, like we, they will forget to pay you if you don't ask them to. So we do like we generate we actually have like a licensing like a key system that so we can generate a license key when someone actually purchases or even for the free version like that we give to bootstrappers. So we can give each person a unique key that basically just disables a warning in the free version that that it you know, it's it puts it out in your console when you run it. So it's just kind of a reminder, like, hey, this is a trial version, which I don't know. I don't know how that will work, but that's that's the extent of what we're doing now. I shouldn't have been, I don't know if it's on your roadmap or it's like you're just tell people your programmers deal with it. So like when a user gets subscribed to a campaign, but maybe they want to unsubscribe to the campaign, like, is that something you've on your roadmap or is that just like, Figure out your notifications yourself. Yeah, so that's a, that brings up a good point. Something I wanted to mention that I really like about Heya is that I've tried to build it to solve like a very specific problem and then also be interoperable with the rest of the Ruby gem ecosystem. And so Andrew Kane, who does Ahoy and everything and like a thousand other gems... <laughs> That I, yeah, um, a very prolific gem author has a gem called MailKick that is built specifically for the purpose of managing unsubscribes in emails. And so at Honey Badger, we're actually just using MailKick to do, do, we have like unsubscribe links in our, in our emails that go out that are not like purely transactional. And that's worked really well. And the, the cool thing about integrating like Heya and MailKick is just like literally like, MailKick uses Ruby, like you can check user dot whatever opt out, like as a method on the user to check out if they're whatever if they're if they're opted in or opted out. You just like drop that into a segment for Heya, and then it excludes anyone who opted out. So it's like kind of a one line one liner integration, and then I guess editing some templates to add your unsubscribe links. But I don't know if it's because Andrew has maybe like 200 other really good gems, but I had not heard of MailKick and this is really, really? cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was really, really stoked when I found that one. It's been, yeah, it came in really handy. And I, you know, that's the same idea with, with like the MailDown gem as well. It's another one that like plays really nicely with Action Mailer. And since this is all just Action Mailer, really, like it all works together. So you can kind of use it to build your own, you know, semi custom system, but it's still very like, very simple, in my opinion. It makes sense that like that wouldn't be a problem that you would want to solve. Like unsubscribing because there's several different ways to do it. Um, yeah, and that I'd might like not to, be the way somebody wants to implement it. I'd like to try not to. And I think like I thought about it because like I would 
in the future, I do have ideas for building additional like intercom functionality into this. So like, you know, I don't, there's nothing that says we couldn't like send a, like if we had a little, like an in-app inbox or something, like a messages inbox or something for the user, like we could send messages to that inbox in-app with, from a campaign. Like it doesn't have to be an email. And even right now, like Heya supports a block syntax for steps. So you can send, you can basically perform any action instead of an email if you want to on a particular step. So you could send a text message or, or yeah, send a message to an in-app thing. Like it doesn't really matter what it is. So, but I think like if I do go that route, I, I would probably come up with like a modular way of doing it. So provide an additional gem that, you know, integrates with it or something as opposed to like, Creating some sort of monolithic like intercom in your app type experience. Yeah, that makes sense. This is really cool. I also noticed that you say free license up to a thousand users. Yes. And then my fa- my favorite thing is <laughs> try user count in production to see if you qualify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was like the simplest like way we found to like convey like what that what a user is. Because it's not immediately apparent, like all the time, like when you say user, yeah. So it's like, yeah, users in your database. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, I'm excited to try this sometime soon, and I want to walk through all of that because it's it's something that like I use ConvertKit on GoRails for some welcome emails and stuff, but like it is so overkill, and my yeah. I know that my use of ConvertKit is like very minimal and like mm-hmm. the automations, I'm nothing, I'm doing nothing more than like send this email, then this one, then this one. And yeah. I don't need it. So this would fit perfect. And then also like, I'm, I don't need any, like Markdown will be perfect for what I'm doing. Like it's just text for the most part, maybe right. bold, maybe underlines or links or whatever, but not no table formats, layouts, and you know images all over the place and whatever. Like it's simple, mm-hmm. so this would be like the perfect yeah. fit for for my use case. So I'm excited to try it. Cool. Yeah. Well, let me know how it goes when you do. We actually we we use ConvertKit for our. I run a like a newsletter called Leveling Up that you can subscribe to at HoneyBadger.io. But it's you know it's got a large like a larger user like a different subscription like user base than our app does, and so. Like ConvertKit still works well for like more bulk, like, you know, like subscription newsletter style stuff, things. Like I didn't really build Heya for that. I built it to tackle the, like the user messaging in a software as a service or in, a, in an app, like specifically, which I think I agree with you. Like, I think that is more transactional in nature than like sending someone, you know, like adding them to your marketing list or something. So yeah. So like I've, targeted this very much at like software as a service user messaging as opposed to like like marketing which i think is an important distinction cool yeah anything else you want to say before we're done i i don't think so well check out um, yeah yeah of course honey badger i guess (laughs) i like the dark mode on honey badger thank you yeah that was we were super excited to get that was one of kevin's early contributions and (laughs) yeah me too (laughs) When I first started as a Rails developer, Honey Badger was what we used, and I have loved it ever since. That is amazing to hear. I love hearing that. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for using to, it. Uh, yeah. And anytime <laughs> I have to use something else, I'm like, but it's not as simple. Where's the buttons I want? Yeah. yeah. You guys are doing great. I love the product. Also, if we haven't said it, you guys podcast on Founder Quest, right? Yeah founderquestpodcast.com if you want to subscribe to that. We're kind of covering just like building the business and it's just the three of us founders chatting every week basically about like what we're doing and like business developer topics. We're all developers. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. For Heya, it's, I said it's Heya.email. Honey Badger is HoneyBadger.io. And I guess if people want to follow me on my new Twitter account, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I know it's a Hey Josh Wood, all one all one word. So that's my new, my new name. Shouldn't that be Heya Josh Wood? Heya. I thought about it, but it just isn't the same. Like if you're, if you're calling, you know, it kind of mentioned me and it's like, Hey, Josh Wood, like it's, it doesn't flow as well. If it's, if it's Heya. Was your old handle taken? So (laughs) when you, when you quit Twitter, I completely delete your account. 
they say that you're, no one can re-register. Your, your name is gone. Like it's, it's disabled. But like the week after I left Twitter, some other random dude had like registered it, but hasn't said anything since. So like, it's just, you know, I don't know. So apparently if you do delete your handle, like it can be re-registered again, which was kind of like that kind of created some confusion until I like got all the links removed from profiles and things. Cause it's like going to this random guy that is definitely not me. So yeah. I went back and because I am weak and I know I'll probably get back on Twitter one day. I uh, don't do it, man. I, I actually did go back and just reclaim my handle. Like it's just <laughs> private and I don't even know yeah. the password to it right now, but I like if you search my name, it still links there like everywhere on the internet. And so I didn't want Uh somebody to like roll in and be like, what's up? I'm Jason. Yeah. There could be some identity conflict there, but, but yeah, I don't know. You're giving me about this, but you got one foot back on Twitter already, Jason. So that's true. (laughs) Yeah. I totally get, um, yeah. Twitter's addictive. Yeah. I won't get started on a rant about Twitter, but I still hold all the same opinions. (laughs) that I I still, I still think it's a dumpster fire, but I miss it so much. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a little, it's, it's especially harder right now. And when, when I think, yeah, like I said, we're not, we're not really going to meetups. We're not going to conferences. I mean, this, this is great to be honest, like, you know, getting on face to face, just chatting on podcasts is, is cool. So maybe we should uh, do more of this. I agree. It's a good time to start a podcast, right? <laughs> it's it's yeah. always a good time to start a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for taking time out to come chat with us. It's good to have you back. Um, yeah, thank you. We'll have to have you back as our third time returning <laughs> guest, and just Creepy. You know, every yeah. time well, you'll you got to our- go through like all your other guests first now, so and then come back to me. So <laughs> perfect. Uh, it's great chatting with you guys. Yeah, it's good yeah. catching up. Hopefully, we'll get a hangout in, in real life at some point in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or maybe I'll see some of you at the RailsConf hallway track, the virtual hallway track next week. Yeah, I definitely plan on doing that. Sounds like fun. All right. Well, yeah, maybe we'll catch up then. Cool. All right, guys. Well, we'll talk to you later. See ya. See ya. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com forward slash remote Ruby.